hi, as always, it's Darren. For any first-time listeners, I head up our account management and customer success teams here at HackerJob. This week, I'm joined by Peter Ockwell, recruitment business partner at Raytheon. How are you doing, Peter? Yeah, good, you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Thanks for asking. So what I always get the, the attendees to this to do is give a bit of a journey to how they've got into position they are now and a little bit about, um, about their history. So do you want to give us a, a little bit of background? Yeah, so I uh, finished university about 2012, did the typical bit of traveling, didn't know what to do with myself sort of thing. At the time, I, if I'm honest, just got into one of the few jobs I could probably get <laughs> really yeah. easily. So I went into recruitment in uh, construction, trades and labor in Gloucestershire, which was an experience if you've ever run a trades and labor desk. So after about sort of six, nine months there, I moved into another agency which focused on IT and technical recruitment small company so it was good in the way because I got to work all sorts of different roles and get a good view of the industry and work with different sized companies and startups to sort of you know, FTSE 100 type companies and I think after about four and a half five years there I felt I couldn't go much further with that organization um, and in, in that role really so I thought the next step for me would be moving internal um, and I joined Raytheon where I am at the moment on, the, on a contractual basis just basically to be a sourcer and sort of catch up on the, their sort of targets. They were sort of lagging behind when I first joined. Um, spent the first sort of nine months just focusing, getting my head down, getting people into the business uh, and then moved over to into a permanent role. After about another sort of six months, I managed to get uh, promoted into the position I'm in today uh, and moved into sort of the business partnership for, uh, for the cyber intelligence for the whole of the operation UK. So that's where I am at the moment. And do you want to tell us a little bit about Raytheon? Because obviously it's quite an exciting time for the business that this lasts like six to nine months. So do you want to give us a bit back? Yeah, so it's probably going a bit under the radar because of the global pandemic we've had, but we had a, a huge merger of UTC about March, April time this year. So we've become the biggest defence company in the world, 195,000 people in the organisation, about 60,000 engineers. I think, awesome. I think it's like... 40,000 patents or something crazy. So it's a huge, huge research development involved as well. But in its simplest form, it's, it's sort of 50% aerospace, 50% defense. And uh, obviously there's huge different sort of programs and business areas within that. But that's sort of, to keep it simple, that's what we sort of focus on. In the UK, we, we focus on cyberspace and training. We also look at sort of like satellite systems, weapon systems, electronic systems. Um, but the bit I'm in at the moment is the cyber intelligence business and if I'm honest, I think it's the most <laughs> interesting part of Raytheon. So what we do there is we essentially build software applications which help reduce cyber crimes and cyber threats across the UK, but also globally, working with sort of government, uh, the MOD, commercial companies as well. So a lot of it is it's all outsourced work. So we, we don't build any products and sort of sort of ship them in. We we build everything bespoke from the from scratch. We just sort of take on the problems from customers and and come up with a solution, really, whatever that may be, which which is really interesting on the tech perspective because it means we don't have a sort of tech stack per se. We will use the best tool for the right for the role, really. So where we're at the moment as well, I think we, we've we've grown, carried on growing in the lockdown. Uh, we haven't stopped recruiting. Uh, we've been very fortunate in the position that we've got a sort of multi-year, long-term contracts. It means we can just keep keep going and sort of planning ahead. A lot of it is government work again, so um, sort of tied in for, for longer pieces of work. I think we've recruited in cyber intelligence about 70, 80 people over the sort of the lockdown period and not many of them 
not put anyone on furlough or anything like that either. So we're in a really, really strong position, which is good moving forward. It means we can carry on with our plans and, and keep doing the exciting things we, we wanted to do. And I think what's been great about you guys is that um, for anyone that doesn't know of Raytheon, you guys are based in Gloucester, which no one would be surprised with given what you do as a business because most defence and aerospace businesses are in that southwest. Um, but the fact that you've been able to uh, hire that many people in, in cyber intelligence, and I know it's not all Gloucester, but that's impressive numbers. Anyone that works down in the southwest will know it's a very difficult place to, to hire at times. So I think credit to your team that you're still able to to hire that kind of numbers given the locations yeah it's been it's a little bit sort of reactive i think as well because i think everyone sort of froze about march april may time and didn't know what to do including ourselves we didn't know what to expect in a short space of time we recruited really heavily and i think we've kind of gone back to the stage now where we're not too sure what's happening for the next sort of four or five months so we're back into that bit of frozen stage yeah and it's a lot slower now and um, something we'll focus and concentrate on today is, is the DNI, um, which I know that you're a champion of, of DNI, which is mm. great. So, given what you do as a business, there's a couple of obstacles that obviously come when hiring, including needing to have stuff like security clearance, which means they need to have been in the UK for a certain period of time. So, with this in mind, can you start by telling us about how you approach this and what you guys are doing internally to remove the bias from your hiring process? For me, I think a lot of it's about data, making sure you have some some data so you can monitor where where you're sort of losing people within the process. If you sort of get into a certain stage with underrepresented group and, and they keep dropping out, then you know you can start looking at the whys. If you're not recording the data, then I think that's the sort of first place you need to sort of to look at really. But I think it's quite a few things you can do. So all our interviews are trained on bias and all the different types of bias, uh, how to identify it um, and how to reduce and limit the impact of it. I mean, we're all human. We all have biases. Unfortunately, we're never going to get get rid of it completely. But if we yeah. can make every effort to get get as low as possible, then brilliant. As much as possible, we structure the interview and try to stay on a structured path to give everyone the same opportunity. Uh, you know, we, we've all heard of interviews where, like, oh, it was great. I had a great chat with them. We talked about football for ages and all that sort of stuff. And that's great. Yeah, you get on a personal level, but it doesn't actually show if they're any good at the job or if they're gonna you know if you can get on the on with them in, in a work environment so we're trying to move remove that element in a way so we don't get people ruled out just because the personalities clash or something like that you know people are different you're gonna have to work with people you don't always always like especially when you're sort of growing at scale uh, so that's that's quite important for us as well things like removing names and cvs having diverse interview panels as as much as possible but with diverse interview panels, there is always a problem if you don't have a diverse team already, then it, it can make that difficult. Ensuring we assess potential and soft skills as well. It's not just having good skills of the tech you need now, but can they learn? Can they develop? You know, have they got all the sort of collaboration, problem solving, that sort of type of skill set? If they do, then I'm sure they can learn the tech. So ensuring we have that sort of capability to take people on who not 100% fit because will never grow again if we don't take people on who want to sort of cross train. The big one we've done as well is train and review, as we call it. So at, at the end of a, an interview, if a candidate's deemed not to be suitable at this current time, we will sort of offer some sort of training plan, whether it's sort of pick up some AWS or something like that. No cost or anything. They can just you know, do the study and learn about it and come back and present that to that to us. We found that's really good because it shows one who's really interested in working for us. It shows up their ability to learn. And yep. things like that and rather than just saying no we sort of never want to see you again it gives 
us and them sort of a second bite and keeps that sort of real feedback going going forward and they can actually they can either go away and, and sort of pick up on it and and use it for, for maybe another interview may never come back to us or they can come back to us and use that opportunity and we've had someone last week who recently did that in two weeks just smashed an aws course and absolutely nailed it in an in interview came back to us it was brilliant this person's absolutely right for us so things like that and we've set up employee resource groups and, and sort of stem activities and, and we're sort of trying to have those conversations now personally i find a lot of people want to do something with dni and understand it they're still scared about talking about it in case they say the wrong thing which yes. is always is always a really bad place to start so i think personally away from this organization needs to get people talking uh, and understanding the problem because it's too easy to bury your head under the sand and not not want to sort of get involved in it so there's some of the big things we do and i think as well again looking at your job descriptions making sure they're gender balanced things like that some of the things we've done in, in recent months and years no i like the the idea of that training program setting up a training program with someone because i i personally think within the industry what is missed a lot of time is that when someone's not right it's like okay you're not right people don't think you're not right right now and it means mm. that you already know that there's a problem within tech for ethnic minorities and there's also a problem for diversity when it comes to gender plus neurodiversity. So if you're if you know there's a problem with the amount of people that you can see anyway and you're chucking away people willy-nilly because you you, you don't have a, a plan to follow up, it means that you're causing a bigger problem down the line. So I like the fact that you guys are thinking about not only is this person right right now, but also does this person seem to be someone that we would like to talk again to in the future? Because like you say, they may not be right right now, but in the future they may be. Yeah, and, and if we bring them on in six months' time after they've done that sort of training, brilliant. Um, or in two, three years down the line, I think it's just the candidate experience. If they've had a good experience and haven't just said no at the end of it and we've gone away and said, if you do this, then we'll be, we'll be more interested. At least we've given them some real tangible feedback they can take forward and, and, and do something with. Yeah, exactly. And I know you guys are uh, hiring for a head of DNI, aren't you? Which is yeah. an interesting step. So, what what led you to making that decision? I think quite simply, we we identified as a business that we need to do more on, on the DNI front, and there's little pockets throughout the business doing good uh, good bits and pieces. There's no sort of joined up approach and. We're all trying to do these things sort of in our in our sort of different areas because because there's sort of four different business units within Raving UK. It can you can feel a bit segmented sometimes yeah. um, because you know you, people get their head down and work on the sort of the task in hand. But I think we need someone to sort of join it all up and sort of bring best practice, communicate it constantly, and sort of almost bang the drum of what we should be doing, how we should be doing it, and and sort of pull all the good bits together. Uh, and again, having that sort of focal point of someone who can lead that conversation uh, and bring people out from their sort of comfort zone and start talking about it, really. So I think really that's that's it. That's it. We need a response to we understand how it will benefit our business. So we yep. need to actually put put someone behind it at least to to drive it forward and, and make that, that their focus. And I think it's that putting someone behind it that is important there because with the best willing in the world, you and your team have got your own targets that you need to hit. So you'll be trying to focus on diversity, but at the same time, mm. you need to make sure you're bringing the right people and the, the 
the right amount of people into the business. So it, it's it's a segment of your focus. I think we're seeing at the moment, uh, and as bad as this year has been, I think it's been good and great in, in a lot of ways that it's brought this more to the attention of businesses. So I think now I'm seeing more and more companies like Raytheon that are coming forward and saying, look, we need to focus more on this and we need someone to actually lead this piece rather than everyone have their own thoughts on what DNI means for us. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's it as well. Each area, each hiring manager, each recruiter will have their own different thoughts. So it's getting that one single way forward, really. So we, we can all be brought into the same method and approach because if everyone's doing different things and have a different, we'll ever achieve anything great. We'll just, we'll always just sort of, I think, again, people just want sort of short term wins the majority of the time. And sort of, they're used to in their work environment being able to sort of achieve a project in a couple of weeks and, and take steps forward where this one is is a longer game and having that sort of mindset that it will take five, ten plus years to really make a change and a difference. It's quite yeah. hard for some people to uh, to comprehend. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think that that's, that was a, one of the frustrations for me when the Black Lives Matter all happened. That I think there was a lot of companies came forward about this is what we believe in, this is where we're, we're going. And in reality, I, I look at some of those businesses, know what's happened in their in their past and like know how they work as a business. I'm like, are you just doing this because you feel like it's the right thing to do? Or are you doing this because you truly believe in it? So mm, I, I yeah. think that any company that is putting investment into it, I'm like, okay, you believe in it. Companies where you just post about it and then you don't talk about it for 9, 12, 18 months. It's like, was that just speaking about it rather than actually? That's one of the things that annoys me. There's a lots of companies going for awards and signing up to charters and, and yep. things like that, which are great because it obviously identifies your company as looking at this this uh, subject. But what are you actually doing? That's my yep. biggest thing is what how are you actually changing that, that? So how are you bringing more people into the industry and how making it easier for them and, and providing opportunity? That's that's where I think people should get these awards and charters for is actually by doing by yep. doing the actions they say they're going to do. Like you say, a lot of people just sort of put the post out there, say they're behind it and then never really do anything. And that's what frustrates me with the whole conversation. Because yep. I remember being in uh, Cambodia and I won't say who the company is, but I was in Cambodia and went past a, a fact, like a manufacturing factory. And you could tell people were like work to the bone because you could see they would just knack them when they came out. And a couple of actually were then going to the cafes and begging for mm. money obviously there's a lot of westerners there and i saw that same company posting about how they believe in equality i'm like i've been to where your manufacturing uh, facilities yeah. are you don't believe in equality you just believe in posting about equality because it makes you look good as a brand so yeah. i think it's, yeah. about, it's it's about living your values is is like a massive thing for me another thing that i really admire about what you guys are doing and have done previously is i know that you you did a women in, in cyber academy um and ran it last year can you tell the listeners about that and how it worked? Yeah, so we, we joined up with a company called Tech Talent Academy, which was run by a lady called Janice Ray, who we met, who I met at a, some sort of networking event. I can't remember what it was now, it was some, some time ago. Uh, but what they were offering was a 12-week academy training on, on just sort of tech-focused skills, mainly about sort of cyber, cyber and software development. So they invited a number of businesses eventually to come and present to to a cohort of, of, of women who wanted to sort of make that career change or wanted to sort of start a career in tech, whatever sort of stage of life they were in. And it was a real mix. So from the start, it was basically sort of selling Raytheon what we can offer 
but I think we had to sort of take a step back and think, well, one, is this actually feasible? Because obviously we've always got to look at the sort of commercial aspect. That's, yep. that's probably the, the biggest issue I find with a lot of these problems is everyone's got the, got the sort of commercial head, but also want to do something with this and it obviously costs time and money. So I think we came to the decision that we do need to actually spend time, money and, and give people opportunity. And this is probably one of the, the best examples we've done in the sort of last couple of years of, of improving our diversity and inclusion. So from there, we did a sort of assessment center with, with the women, uh, just sort of really to identify one who's got the capability to, to sort of take on this, this uh, sort of training scheme because it was intensive. There's a huge amount to learn. And then when they were going to join Raytheon, there's going to be way more to learn again. And also make sure they got the, they're doing it for the right reasons because some people were leaving some very, very good jobs uh, in different industries. And it, you know, it was going to be a step backwards to go forwards and, the more we talk about it, sometimes it wasn't quite right. And again, we're also a very, very different industry and a unique in its, in its sense that we're security cleared with defense, with cybersecurity. There is, it's not for everyone and we appreciate that. So after sort of doing that and we made, made 13 conditional, 15 conditional offers yes. um, on the provider, they go through the training, complete that, and then they'll have, have a job of us at the end of it. Um, and I think at the time, there's a number of other companies who who all pulled out because there was a cost to it. We did have to pay for their training and there was no guarantee they'd complete it and things like that as well. So we ended up being the only company going forward with it, which I thought was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, really good. You know, we, we can then really shape it to how how we, we want the course to, to run. So we, we changed the course in many ways to to fit what we, we would need and actually became more bespoke. So it actually worked out best for, for everyone, really because um, it's an easier transition when they joined us so uh, at the end of the 12-week training we did sort of social events and things like that throughout to sort of try build some sort of link with Raytheon it's always going to be difficult because they were elsewhere training uh, for 12 weeks so once they joined Raytheon it got they got set upon a sort of plan and mentorship to sort of develop further so they were joining very junior software engineers but some then ended up founded, finding their skills in testing or business analysis, business analysis or project management and, and did move elsewhere but initially they had a sort of six, nine, 12 months sort of training plan of try to get them to that sort of next step and then get them working on projects and, and sort of developing their skill set further. So it worked really well that they're, they're all on projects now. Um, they're all sort of in doing a, a, a different project, different things. What I saw one real positive is when they did join, we had a much more of a buzz at, in our sort of canteen area at lunchtime. I think it brought back the sort of, let's all meet up and have lunch together while I'm just sitting at your desk and eating and things like that. Yeah. And, and again, they, they did loads of social events, loads of charity work as well. And all those sort of bits and pieces, when you bring new people in, new ideas, you start doing different things rather than getting, doing the same old sort of thing. It was a really positive uh, impact on the business in Gloucester and Manchester. Uh, and then we did a second one, which is a much sm- much smaller one. Uh, we only took on three people and then we did an apprenticeship scheme rather than a women in cyber uh, academy this year um, yeah. but also looking at doing a similar thing in Manchester next year with um, rolling out a similar scheme but not just focus on women anyone who wants to get into the industry and yeah. hopefully push for underrepresented sort of groups so yeah that's kind of a nutshell of it and I really recommend it to people I think it's a brilliant way of making an impact on your business um, and once you've done it once and gone through the headaches of what training scheme you've got to set up and how you're going to sort of make sure they have a good experience when joining us and make sure they've got enough sort of mentorship and got that plan set up because it was, we've never done it before. Yep. It's, it's, it's much easier the second time around. So it's just sort of taking a leap and, 
and getting over those hurdles and tackling it and, and learning from it. And the, all, all the women were really good because they understood that we were we were kind of making as we go along because we've never done it. So it, it was a pilot scheme backed by um, DCMS. Um, and I think off the back of that, they, they have done more. I think those, I'll, I'll loop back to another point in a second, but I, I think those those kind of courses are pivotal to making a difference in in diversity because there's a lot of if you look at the the numbers of ethnic minorities in university it's it's hugely different when you look at um let's go to white male and, and white females mm. it's this way to do it so there might be that these people have every intention to go through a software engineering degree but they just don't have the resources in order to do it so it means that they aren't able to but i think that the kind of courses that you're talking about there and and i, I know sainsbury's for example what they've looked at in the last year is that they looked at the people that were in store and then realized there's a lot of people that could actually move into software engineering. So I think that companies that are looking outside of the norm of, I don't know, you went to university, you got a computer science degree, you're the right fit for us rather than thinking mm. about the acumen of that person. Yeah. It's really, really important. So I really like that. Yeah, because we had some like PhD students and sort of exactly, yeah. doctorates and you think, well, they're obviously extremely smart people yeah. in the sciences. You know, they can definitely do this it's just giving them an opportunity and setting them up for success really yeah. and I, I think what I quite liked about what you were saying there was that just because they went in to do that course in software engineering didn't mean that they can move across different areas of tech because the reality is when someone uh, joins your business for that six to nine month training scheme they're probably just joining to go I like the idea of what Raytheon do I don't know where I'll end up but like it mm. sounds exciting so I think not pigeonholing someone and going, you need to go this route is is quite pivotal as well. Yeah, we thought just having a good understanding of software engineering is never going to be a bad thing, considering yeah. that's what we do. And that's the sort of focus of our business. And again, it can lead in sort of automation testing and things like that, where you still need scripting, programming languages. It's fit for purpose to get people into, into the industry. Uh, and that's what we were really sort of conscious on, just getting people at a certain level so they all feel comfortable when they join us so they can talk about these things about feeling like they're starting completely again they understand what it is and they can actually talk about it to their mentors and, and understand how they can take it further and the, and the implications of, of that tech yeah i'd love to do another one again but i think the, the one in manchester is going first so <laughs> we're going to do so many <laughs> yeah um and I guess as a, as a final topic I wanted to pick on here is that we've discussed several times on different calls in the past about how diversity, and it kind of builds on those academies we just talked about that just then, but how mm. really you need to build from bottom up rather than mm. assuming that you can make a huge difference in diversity at that engineer, head of engineering, director of engineering kind of level where it's great if you can, if you can find them, but really everyone is fighting for the same talent. So can you expand and tell the listeners what your thoughts are on how to make organisations balanced with that approach? Yeah, so for me, it's it's definitely a bottom-up approach for me, personally. I think, again, go back to sort of data side of things. Firstly, you do need to understand where you are and what, what sort of task sits in front of you uh, and be able to sort of continually monitor that, that data. And secondly, I think you need to communicate across the business that it is going to be a long-term approach it's it's not going to be fixed overnight you can't do it in three months you can't just swallow up every candidate from an underrepresented group because everyone's trying to do that and that still wouldn't make enough of a difference so for me it's it's, it's all about getting people into the industry and and giving them opportunities to then stay in the industry and progress so i think you know, you've got to look at 
how you can get people from non-traditional routes. How do you keep people within your business? Because uh, for, for me, I've got a young family, so I need a bit of, sort of flexibility around sort of timings. Because yep. having those processes and, and flexibility set up for people's different stages of life so they can continue with the company, continue progressing, but also fits in with their personal life. You don't want to lose someone just because you can't offer part-time working, for example. For, for, realistically, it's going to be a couple of years. And if you want to keep someone for sort of 10, 15, 20 years, it's not really going to make a difference. I think we've done quite well with that and we've, we've got more flexible as time has gone on and this, this, this pandemic has accelerated that. Probably has for, for, for quite a few companies as well. But yeah, I think that's really it for me. It's, it's that bottom-up approach. We, you know, we do a lot of, sort of graduate events, STEM events and sort of try and get people excited about the, the industry and, and sort of engineering. But I don't think industry has enough entry-level jobs to get people in and are they giving everyone a, a sort of fair chance of getting at that? Because we used to have on our job specs must be a graduate, must have a sort of computer science degree. Yeah. Well, then you know, yeah. there's only a certain demographic you're going to attract. So you've got to cut that out straight away, yeah. personally, uh, and, and do more things like the Women in Cyber Academy or retraining thing we're doing in Manchester, where it's taking people from different backgrounds who clearly got the capability, but maybe just not had the, the opportunity in their life to, to do it. And from our apprenticeship scheme, we found some really good candidates from underrepresented groups who've paid for software courses and, and you know, a lot of money, thousands of pounds. And they end up performing great on the sort of task we set them because they're so motivated <laughs> and you're not going to get, I think sometimes you get some of the, some of the best people from non-traditional routes. Yeah, um, so we're losing out such so many like, talented people just because they've got, taken a bit of a different path and maybe did history at university rather than exactly. sort of tech. And it's just, oh, it, it's just such a shame, I find. I think um, that's been, I think, the biggest shift within Raven is, is, is understanding that it's not going to be fixed overnight and we really do need to sort of hunker down and sort of, sort of focus on our goals and our tasks and have some sort of, sort of achievements at the end of it of what we want to, what we want to hit and, and doing it, really, not just talking about it, actually putting things into action. Well, I, I went to university did business and I think I've said this several times on the podcast, I don't think I've ever used anything that I learned at university in, in my like in my professional life because I went to university not knowing what I wanted to do, went yeah. into business, and then unfortunately once I finished university, I was like, well, I'm not going to pay you to do another course that I'm now interested in. So I think that if you are saying that, that someone needs to have a, a certain degree, like you were saying about history, if someone can't have a history degree to be a developer, then that means that you're penalising someone for a decision they made when they were essentially still a child. Like you're still yeah. like 17, 18 when you're making these decisions. And all the, all the alternative is that you are going to say that they need to have that. But if you've got like a young family like yourself, I'm sure that you couldn't afford to at this point say, look, I'm not going to work for the next three years. I'm going to go for a university. And your wife is then exactly. going to have to look after the cost. Like it makes it impossible. Yeah, exactly. For most people it will, won't it? Um, and I think... Yeah, like you say, it's 16, 17, 18. Very few people know what they want to do. <laughs> you know, I think, I think university, one of the big things is you mature. Yeah, <laughs> things exactly. like that. So you you do, it does take some time. I'm probably now, probably to get to sort of, sort of late 20s, early 30s, you probably, your view on the world is very different. You probably would do something different now if you, if you had your chance again. I think, especially when there's a skill shortage in general for, for tech professionals, yeah. we've got to be better at, transferring people across and cross training and, and giving them opportunity otherwise we're always going to have this problem and if, you know, if we're not going to try to find a solution then 
you can't really complain about it, can you? Yeah, exactly. Like, if we're not going to find a solution, we might as well ship all the tech off to another. To yeah. Another because look, if we're not going to do anything about it, then let's let's put it somewhere where the countries are more open to it. Let's be honest. Yeah. A couple of final points on on that point. Um, can you talk to us about the the part time scheme? That I know that some of the areas in the business you've opened it up to part time, which I think is huge because it means that again, if you've got a young family and you're coming back from, I don't know, maternity leave or something like that, it gives you an option. So I really liked it when you guys started doing that. Yeah, so it's always been an option, but for some areas of the business, because of the type of work they're doing and security clearance around it, it's, it's been made more difficult. But with, again, the pandemic has done some positive things <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> it has forced more remote working. So it has opened up those opportunities to offer different and different, different levels of part-time um and i think we've just been got better at sort of reinforcing that with with sort of the wider sort of hiring community that we should be offering it uh, and that we can make it work and not sort of be blindsided because a lot of some a lot of them are sort of focused on delivering their projects and make sure their utilization is high and things like that so it's how we make it fit and and make it work i think is important and just basically having a process set up or, or some sort of method to, to make it work Again, we, we've sort of now we've started offering remote working a couple of days a week um, on a very small scale because it all depends on how customers want us to work in the future. So we're sort of tiptoeing into it, and hopefully, with I think the benefits from from this, we carried on delivery. Uh, we've had happier staff. So I'm hoping our customers will see the benefit of that and and sort of allow us to sort of do it on a larger scale in the future, which then will off, offer us more opportunity of part time working, flexible working, remote working. So we're very much sort of customer-led because we have to be because that's you know, ultimately who pays, pays our bills. <laughs> we need to make sure we're delivering and making sure they're happy and in, and in the way they want it as well. So, yeah, that probably covers all our policies at the moment. And our, who, our, who knows what else? Yeah, yeah I know our, what might come in. Who knows what the next, <laughs> uh, the next situation is? So uh, 2020 has been the year of, uh, of problems. So let's see what 2021 brings. But I think credit to your uh, to you, the team of the business, that I always use Raytheon as probably the example of, of a company um, that is flexible and that's why you are successful in bringing people in. I was speaking to one of the guys in my team this morning about uh, a company that are based in Hereford and they were looking for Azure data engineers. And I was like, you're not, you're not going to find these people with yeah. anything in the office five days a week. I did, um, I did a quick talent search and I found four people that were Azure data engineers in and around that area. So I said, use the example of what Raytheon do. Like they, they're very open to where someone's based as long as they can get to site a couple of days a week or there's flexibility around it as required. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that you're you're not promising that it's going to be fully remote or something like that. You're promising enough to understand what that market looks like and you're doing it to what is needed. I think a lot of these things have come from sort of collecting data and doing talent mapping, especially at the women in cyber and some some of our DNI initiatives have come from, okay, you want to test automation engineer in Gloucester with Cyprus. Well, there's one. (laughs) Um, And you say you need five. So, yeah, yeah. So who, where are we going to budge here? <laughs> exactly. So you've got, you, you've got to start bringing these things in because yeah. we're, we're just never going to recruit them, uh, unfortunately. Otherwise, because you know, we bring out someone brings out new tech and we and we need it. So we've got to train our own staff or bring talent in who can pick it up. So yeah, I think that's that's an important part. Of talent mapping, just having your data to sort of prove to the business why we need to do these things. And you know, we're you know, some roles are 
aren't remote. It can't be. It can't be part-time. It can't be remote because of the environment we're in and the industry we're in. But if we can just start making those steps and making it a bit easier and offering it for some roles and giving people opportunity, then we can, we can view it case by case. If it works, it works. We'll do it. But if not, then we'll, we'll explain why and try and encourage the person why, why it's beneficial for their career if they, they go down this path. And um, I like that you that you guys go with a data-led approach. I'm in the lucky position where I have a lot of data because of a hacker job in terms of we store it all. But for a lot of companies, they come to me and they say, oh, yeah, like we're going to do this. I'm like, have you looked into the data? Have you done any mapping on this? Because if it's come down to you at this point, because most of the time I'm dealing with talent managers, if it's come down to you at this point, it means it's probably gone through three or four steps of approval before it's reached you. And it mm. sounds like none of those four steps have even done any done any research into it so it's now going to have to go back up the steps in order for you to approve yeah. change so it baffles me sometimes i guess as a, a final point what i get all the attendees to to do is do a bit of a mystic meg for what 2021 looks like like what okay. will this look like in the in the next year so what are the the predictions that you've got about any market changes or things we'll see in 2021 and beyond so if you asked me a few months ago i would have said everything would be remote 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 but then i feel like the last few months i think people are starting to have that wanting craving to go back to the office yep. how that sort of like that human interaction so i'm very much split at the moment i was very much the world would be fully remote we'll just be working from home forever but i don't think we will i think we're going to have this is going to be some sort of hybrid hybrid model but i'm also hoping on the dni front not just racing but companies will make steps forward um, and actually start actioning their, their sort of words and bringing more people into into their organizations i'm hoping that will then lead on to sort of changing mindsets in companies and culture and offering more part-time more flexible working more remote and that that includes Raytheon. if we can do it on a bigger scale brilliant i think anything to help that sort of skill shortage i think will will be accelerated i think we've seen over the last few months companies have, have struggled to hire in tech and that problem's not going to go away um, especially whenever sort of working from home and, and we found that all the successful companies were digital or online uh, technology platforms so it's only going to get more of those so the skill shortage is just going to get worse unless we do something about it agreed and uh, i would implore anyone that wants to to look at dni really properly in my opinion look at what raytheon and other businesses are doing um around that flexibility because the reality is that you can sort of solve gender diversity to some extent but once someone is starting to have a family suddenly they need more flexibility than you're currently offering if you're just saying look we want more women but we want them to all work full-time nine to five and like regardless of what their family situations are so if you really want to make a difference then start looking into what does that part of diversity need? Because um, it's one yeah. thing different for different areas. And another thing we've recently sort of thought about is like interview accessibility. And before, if, if, if someone's come to the office, we can make arrangements to sort of set up the office or yep. set up the meeting room to fit, fit purpose. But could we quickly shove everything online like everyone did, our, our, our recruitment process or onboarding? I think one of the few things you forget and we, we, we definitely did was is it accessible for everyone and does it is it fit for purpose so in the last few months and the weeks we've started looking at that and how we can be ahead of potential problems we don't want something coming to us saying oh can you do this and not having a solution so it's trying to again again as we sort of evolve in this, this sort of remote world 
can we you know, make sure we have everything accessible online to make it easier for people to to interview and succeed at interview? And it goes back to sort of following sort of structured interviews and, and make sure we're you know, asking those questions at the start of the process and not sort of being yep. shocked by them later on. Yep, makes sense, makes sense. Um, so we've got to the end of the podcast. I think that we've had, uh, mostly from your side, I'll be honest, a really interesting conversation <laughs> here. So I suspect that people are going to want to reach out afterwards. So if people did want to reach out, how's the best way to contact you? Assume you're on LinkedIn. Yes, I think that's probably the best way. Direct message me, connect to me. I'm happy to respond and help in any way I can. Amazing. Uh, and then if people want to reach out to the HackerJob team, if you reach out to hello at hackerjob.com. Thanks again for your time, Peter. Cool, thank you.